0: You're listening to a sermon from Mission City Fellowship of San Antonio, Texas. Mission City Fellowship exists to make and mature disciples of Jesus Christ who live all of life for the glory of God and proclaim Christ for the joy of all people. A few years after uh, my wife Terry and I were married, We had the joy of being a- actually able to take a vacation back to, to the place where we met, which, which was in Winter Park, Colorado. We met on a college ski trip a few decades ago. Uh, and it was just a joy to get back there. We love Colorado anyway. We took a number of day trips while we were there, and on one trip... We followed this road that, that went up and up and up into the mountains, and at the end of this road, we found this like this, this gravel parking area. We parked, we took a, a short little walk uh, on this path, and we eventually came to this sign, and do you know what the sign said? It said "The Continental Divide." Now certainly the trip up there was was you know the scenery was amazing. The view was breathtaking, um, but that was an amazing thing. I, I'm not sure I was that aware of the Continental Divide. I could tell you what it was, but I wasn't sure the the importance of it. Do you know? Maybe you don't even know what the importance of that is. Basically, there runs all the way from actually Canada all the way through Mexico and even further south. There runs a ridge of mountains, and these mountains are kind of a, a point that, that divides where water goes in our nation, like, for example, in the United States. These mountains form along a ridge that runs north and south, and from those mountains come the headwaters of, our, of the entire nation of the United States. So rain or snow falls on these peaks, and the water will flow down the mountain either to the east or to the west and so depending on where the water or the snow or the rain falls and where it lands it could either end up in the Pacific Ocean or it could end up in the Atlantic Ocean. In this way the waters of our continent are divided. What the continental divide is to the United States Jesus is to humanity. Depending on what a person believes about Jesus determines where they end up in life and in eternity. And I know this isn't a popular opinion, but Jesus is a divisive person. And efforts to shape him into someone more likable will ultimately fail as long as we go to the Word and read what he said and see what he did. Jesus said this in Matthew, Do not think that I came to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. A sword is a divisive thing. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. We're talking about that's a pretty serious thing that Jesus said there. That who He is, is that kind of divisive person, even into a family, it could be divisive. As we continue our sermon series through the Gospel of John, which we're calling, Come and See, Come and See that You May Believe and Have Life in Jesus. We're going to once again see how divisive Jesus truly is. There is no neutral position concerning Jesus. Either He is the Christ, the Son of the living God, who gave His life as a ransom for sinners, or He isn't. And there is no sitting on the fence when it comes to Jesus. He doesn't allow that. The Word of God doesn't allow that. So, with that in mind, let's read John chapter 7, beginning in verse 40. John chapter 7, beginning in verse 40. Now, remember what's happening here. Uh, the whole nation of Israel is celebrating the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Tabernacles, one of their big feasts. It's probably one of their main feasts, really. It's this joyous occasion where all of Israel is just rejoicing in this, in this Feast of Booths, remembering how God provided and protected them uh, while they were wandering in the wilderness. As part of this also, uh, Jesus stood up in the temple and he stood up among the people and he began to teach the people and he began to talk about the living water. Okay, And that's the context for what we're reading here. Verse 40, When they heard these words, meaning the words of Jesus, when they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the Scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David, and He comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over Him. Some of them wanted to arrest Him, but no one laid hands on Him. Verse 45. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, Why did you not bring him? Referring to Jesus. Why did you not bring Jesus? The officers answered, No one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, Have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus who had gone to Jesus before and who was one of them said to them does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does and they replied are you from Galilee too search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee this is the word of the Lord let's pray Father, we are grateful this morning that you recorded for us your word that we might know and understand and believe. Help us this morning to hear your words, to understand your words, and to believe your words. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. So, let's see the division that Jesus caused in this passage. The first, number one. It was a division among, there was division among the people. Verse 40 again. When they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was division among the people over him. So, verse 40, the text begins with with when they heard these words. Again, what are the words that they are referring to here? This is referring to what Jesus spoke in the previous verses when Jesus stood up and said, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And those who had heard Jesus say those words, it seems like they they understood the significance of what he was saying. Jesus wasn't just using thirst in some generic, spiritualized sense. He was, trying, he was tying himself to God's redemption of his people in the Exodus. He was connecting himself to the water that came from the rock when Moses struck it. He was saying, just as God supplied water to the Israelites in the wilderness to quench their physical thirst, so God has supplied Christ to quench the thirst of your soul. And just as God supplied water to His people in in their wilderness travels, so God supplied Christ in the wilderness of our sin. And so we hear Jesus say again, You must come to me. You must come to me and drink. And the people obviously felt the power of what he was saying. They felt the power of this call. They were divided still though on who exactly Jesus was. The passage tells us some thought Jesus was the prophet. Now, it doesn't say he was a prophet, but it says he was the prophet. They were referring and thinking about something very specific. In Deuteronomy 18, it tells us of a prophet of the order of Moses that he was prophesied, that he was predicted, that he was going to come. Deuteronomy 18, speaking about Moses, says this in verse 18. I will raise up for them a prophet like you, Moses, from among their brothers. And I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. So they're probably thinking back to that. We do know in Acts chapter 3 that it, that it is made clear that the promised prophet is actually Jesus. Verse twenty of Acts three, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, who is Jesus, whom having been having must receive until who heaven must receive until the time for restoring of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to Him in whatever He tells you. They're just making this connection again, as we see over and over again in the Gospel of John, between Jesus and who He is, and what God had established and begun in the Old Testament. It was being fulfilled in Jesus Himself. Jesus preaching and teaching about living water reminded them of Moses drawing water from the rock. And some made that connection. Now, this was not a full understanding of who Jesus was, but it certainly showed a certain degree of respect and openness to Jesus. It wasn't a rejection of Jesus. People sensed that Jesus was something more than just a good teacher who did some good things. But yet the passage tells us that still others thought Jesus might be the Christ. Verse 41, others said this is the Christ. And the truth is, this is the profession that Jesus is actually looking for. This is what Jesus is actually seeking. That people understand that He is the long-promised and long-anticipated Messiah. That He was the one who, would, who, would be, who was predicted, who would come and bring salvation. And He would bring deliverance to God's people. Now... There's, there's no indication how much they understood exactly all that that meant that Jesus is the Christ. But that is the, the one confession that Jesus or profession that Jesus is looking for. And so these first two affirmations of Jesus seem to have been shouted down somewhat, that he is the prophet or he is the Christ. And somehow or another, it seems to have really been overshadowed um, with the thought from some people like, no, he's not the prophet and he's not the Christ. He's just a man. He's just a man. He's a man actually from the backwater town of of the area of Galilee. See, they didn't have their facts right concerning Jesus. Verse 42, Has not the Scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? See, Jesus was from Galilee, but he was actually born in Bethlehem. And they had everything confused about him. So they were trying to dismiss Jesus as the prophet. They were trying to, these people were trying to dismiss Jesus as the Christ because they were confused about where he was from. This division among the people was really born out of still a certain degree of ignorance. Ignorance of who Jesus was, ignorance of his birth, ignorance of the truth. And it was ignorance that was supported by a wrong agenda. And that's where it gets really dangerous. At this point, these people still had a deeply embedded hope that the Christ would come, that the Messiah would come, and he would bring deliverance. But it would, their thinking was, it was going to be a political Deliverance. They were going to have political power. There was going to be political gain. They were looking for a Lord leading an army, not a man leading a ragtag bunch of misfits. They were looking for someone to relieve the suffering that was caused by Roman occupation, not someone who could relieve the suffering of their personal sin. They were looking for someone to bring personal and national glory. Not someone who would carry a cross. That was the confusion. And that agenda that was so embedded into into their minds and into their hearts was making it hard for them to truly understand who Jesus was and why he came. I wonder, what are your ideas of who Jesus is? Are your ideas of who Jesus is preventing you from seeing the real Jesus? Are your preconceived notions of what you think Jesus ought to be and ought to be like clouding your ability to see Jesus for who He truly is? The problem so many people have is they reduce Jesus to just one or two dimensions. They really, really limit Jesus. They reduce Him to love, but they allow no truth or justice to provide a context that makes that love meaningful. That gives teeth to the love. They reduce Jesus to someone who wants us all to be kind and to get along, but they refuse to hear Jesus' own words of judgment on sin and judgment on sinners. They reduce Jesus to accepting all when he says in Matthew 7, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. These are divisive things. And our world today doesn't like a divisive Jesus. So many people reduce Jesus to someone who just wants them to be happy and fulfilled in whatever their life choices are. But they ignore what Jesus said when He said, If you're going to come after Me, you have to deny yourself. You have to take up a cross and you have to follow Me. Jesus has been reduced to this caricature of who He really is. But through all that ignorance and the ignorance that persists to this day that has surrounded Jesus actually since he walked this earth. One day we know that every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus is Christ and Lord to the glory of God the Father. And yet now, this day he still continues to call people to come to himself. To come and to drink. To come to Him and drink is a divisive thing. It is a call that says, if you drink of me, you need to stop drinking other places. There's a division that has to happen there. Second, let's move on. We see there is division between the religious leaders and these guards. Or these officers, I call them guards. Verse 45, the officers then came to the chief priests and the Pharisees who said to them, why did you not bring him? Meaning, why did you not bring Jesus? We sent you to, to go arrest him, essentially. The officers answered, no one ever spoke like this man. And So the Pharisees answered them, have you also been deceived? Have any of us, the authorities, or us, the Pharisees, believed in him? See, the religious leaders are really frustrated here. Again, back back in verse 32 of this chapter, they sent these officers, they sent these guards out to arrest Jesus. But the guards came back without Jesus. They didn't arrest Him. I mean, think about that for a second. Think about just today, a judge that sends an order out to have someone arrested for some crime. The officers of the court go out but they come back without the person imagine how miffed that judge would be when the officers told would tell him something to the effect of well judge we got to talking to him and we like him we think what he's saying is pretty good that wouldn't go over so well this is essentially what the guards did they said we actually listened to him and we found what he was saying to be compelling They thought he spoke with authority and with power. They said no one ever spoke like this man. That's a pretty significant statement, don't you think? No one ever spoke like this man. Of course, the authorities that sent these guards, they jumped all over them. They accused them of being deceived. The guards could have said, you know, they could have come up with some other kind of explanation that wouldn't have caused them to be in trouble with the, these religious leaders, these, uh, these ones who had sent them to arrest Jesus. Uh, they, the guards could have said, hey, we didn't bring Jesus back because we we're afraid of what the people would say. They could have made up an excuse and said, hey, we didn't bring Jesus back because there were so many people here for the, for the Feast of Booths. We just didn't want to cause chaos. They could have said, we had trouble finding him. They could have said a lot of things that that would have eliminated this kind of confrontation and tension. But they didn't. They essentially said, we think Jesus is someone worth listening to. You know what happened? They went to arrest Jesus, but as they began to listen to Jesus, Jesus arrested their hearts. They came to capture him, and he captured them instead. The religious leaders respond with this snobbish arrogance. So, they, so it's, it's with a sneer. As you, as you hear them say, have any of the authorities or Pharisees believed? You need to read that with a sneering, condescending kind of voice behind it. You know? Have any of the authorities or Pharisees believed in him? Why are you so lame? Why are you being deceived by this guy? Basically, they were saying, no one of significance believes. You're just naive and you're gullible. You're like all of these sheep out here. You're like all of this mass out here. Only the ignorant, untrained, uneducated people would believe. No one who was schooled in the law or was schooled in the deeper meanings of life. Only, only people who would not be schooled in the they would, you know, They would believe. Yet what the guards heard from Jesus was more powerful than their fear of what the religious leaders would think about them. What they heard from Jesus was greater than the threats of the people who sent them to arrest Him these religious leaders hadn't counted on that. This really just speaks to the power of the Word and the words of Christ. No one spoke like this man. We have so many other accounts in the Scripture record of Jesus speaking words and lives being changed. Jesus speaks just a few words to a leper. He says, be clean. And you know what happened? He was healed. Jesus tells a crippled man, rise up and walk. And he rises up. He gets up and he walks. It's interesting. With one word, Jesus commands and in that word enables Peter to walk on water. And and we see this. Peter answered, said to the Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Verse 20, I love this. He said one word come and in that word he empowered Peter to step out and come Jesus speaks to Lazarus at his tomb and he says just a few words Lazarus come forth and out walks a man who had been dead for three days Jesus stands up in a boat that is being tossed by winds and waves, and he speaks to the weather, Be still! And the storm instantly stops. Again and again, Jesus spoke with authority and power, and the guards knew it, even if the religious leaders didn't. If you haven't been amazed at the words of Jesus, if you've not been amazed at His claims to truth, if you've not been amazed at His claims about Himself and His mission, then you haven't met the Jesus of the Bible. Jesus spoke with authority and with power. Do you know what the difference is between authority and power? A few years back, Home we used to live in. A police officer uh, pulled his car, parked his car just in front of my neighbor's house, just one house down. He parked his car there, and and what he did was he he got out. He had a handheld radar gun, and he got outside of his car. And as cars were going down this road, this was a residential road, he was he was clocking them. What was interesting to me was. That when someone was sufficiently speeding, he would step out in front of the car. He had a small stop sign in his hand. He would step out in front of that car and he would say stop and he'd point them over to the side. Then he would write them up a a speeding ticket. He pulled over a number of cars that day. Watched them. Many cars were pulled over. Here is the thing. Why did the cars pull over? It wasn't because he was physically forcing them to. They were pulling over because of his authority. Now, if he wanted the power behind that, he could put a concrete barrier in the middle of the road and force people to stop. Jesus' words carry both authority and power. Authority is the right to say something that must be bowed to and recognized. Power is the ability to actually bring about change. Jesus has the authority to call to Himself those who thirst because He has the power to quench that thirst. And He spoke in a way nobody had heard. He spoke as someone who had authority. And with that was this power. Let's move on. And finally we read. And we see division among the religious leaders. Verse 50. Nicodemus who had gone to him before. And who was one of them. In other words he's one of these religious leaders. He said to them. Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing. And learning what he does. They replied. Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. The religious leaders had ridiculed and belittled the guards because they considered them intellectually and morally inferior. So imagine their embarrassment after basically arguing the point, you know, have any of us, have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in Him? Imagine their their embarrassment when one of their own, Nicodemus, stands up and speaks out for Jesus. Nicodemus doesn't outright say, Jesus is the Christ here. But this is kind of a step further along. This is kind of a step from where he was when he came to Jesus by night. Remember, he came to Jesus by night in John chapter 3, because he didn't want any of his brethren in the religious leadership to know what he was doing. Here he's actually, although he's not outright saying, hey, Jesus is the Christ, we should listen to him, he's at least advocating for listening to him under law, under their law. And you know they had to be embarrassed that one of their own would say this. Nicodemus was concerned. Apparently, they were willing to go around the law in order to get rid of Jesus. Verse 51, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing? He was calling out his religious brethren for not following the very law they claimed to so cherish and so want to protect. So the religious leaders turned on Nicodemus. They labeled him, they tried to undermine him, they tried to undermine his trustworthiness. They say, you must be from Galilee too. And and basically, can anything, you know, Galilee is just if you're from Galilee, that's a that's a strike against you kind of thing. No prophet has ever come from Galilee, they say. Search the scriptures. Well, I mean they were confused because there were a number of prophets that had come from Galilee. Jonah, Nahum, probably Elijah. There's a few others that we can probably account that came from that region. So what was happening here? They were trying to shut down Nicodemus by shaming him into silence. They were threatened by Jesus. They had lost sound reason and were making up anything in order to get their way. And that's what happens so often. This is why Jesus is so divisive. Jesus said, you must come to me. And those with religious power didn't want to upset the status quo that would put them in a difficult position where they would lose power. They were threatened by what it would mean to come to Jesus. They would have to admit their error in their understanding of the law. They would have to admit their error in application of the law. They would have to say, yeah, we have been tying heavy loads on people's backs. They would have to confess their sin. They would have to talk about how they were putting and requiring of people what the law never stipulated. And even worse, they would have to humble themselves before a man who was born in a stable in Bethlehem. Jesus divides people because He represents a threat to their way of life. He is a threat to long-held beliefs that would have to be rejected if a person believed in and followed Jesus. Jesus says to the people, the way you are going is not the true way, but only in following Jesus can a person find the true way. See, Jesus, by His very presence, by His very teaching, by calling people to come to Him and drink, he is saying that all the stuff that you have filled your life with, it is a dead end. It is, does not suffice. It does not satisfy. All these things that we have given ourselves to, and define our lives by, and that we think gives purpose to our lives, these things are false. They are not soul quenching water, they are dry dirt. So Jesus had that effect of dividing, even among the religious leaders. Because what's at stake in this division is the truth. I mentioned at the beginning about this continental divide. In Switzerland, there's something very similar to that. In Switzerland, there is this high ridge of rock with the valley that's on both sides. And the snow that lays, uh, it just covers on top of this great divide. It lays along what is called a watershed. One portion of the snow when it melted would flow into one valley. The snow which lay close beside it would flow into another valley when it melted. And on this particular ridge, that melting snow flows down one side of the ridge. It goes into a valley, into a small river, then down into the Rhine River. The Rhine then flows on through Germany, and the water ends up in the cold. (laughs) Okay. Whoa. So basically, in this ridge, the melting snow, it would flow down on one side of this ridge and it goes into the valley, into a small river, then down into the Rhine River, flows through Germany into the cold waters of the North Sea. The water on the other side, that, that snow, that starts out so very close together, but it's in this watershed. And on that side of the ridge, when the snow melts, it drops off sharply down the ridge into the Rhone Valley. This water ends up in Lake Geneva and then goes down below that into the Rhone River, which then flows through France into the warm waters of the Mediterranean Sea. This snow lies along a watershed. When it melts, where it ends in its destination is literally thousands of miles apart. That is what a watershed is. A watershed divides. There's a clear line that can be drawn between what seems at first to be the same, or at least very close, but in reality it is very different. When a person hears Jesus' invitation, all who are thirsty come to me and drink and live, they are at a watershed point in their life. The truth is that every life is flowing to one of two eternal destinies. Either to Christ for eternal life or away from Christ for eternal judgment. You are at a watershed moment this morning. Do you hear the words of Jesus? Anyone who is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Have you come to Jesus to drink? Do you feel the deep and aching thirst of your soul that tells you there must be more than what you see and what you feel and what you've experienced? Do you feel the chasm in your heart that speaks to your thirst and it fills you with loneliness and at times apprehension and anxiety? Do you see your actions and the motives behind those actions and you feel the guilt and shame knowing you're not right? Come to Jesus and drink. He is inviting you this very moment to look to Him, to believe in Him, to trust in Him and give your life to Him. He's calling you away from the parched, burning dryness of your soul to drink deeply of his refreshing waters and to live. Come to Jesus today and drink. Come this very moment and drink. Let's pray.